You are listening to Honored with William McCarthy, live from Red Hook, Brooklyn. Give me five on the side, way down low, too slow. Hey, Jack, I'm back. I came on a plane and I'm in flames. Midnight, last night. Woo! Coming in hot for a landing. Jumped in my cab, went outside, and you know what? I'm not going to lie, man. Not too not too shabby. It's not that cold. It's not snow cold. So I was in Mexico City for most of the month. And as I said before, I was focusing on the, the J word, joy. I had come to this conclusion that I was just like, look, I don't know what my joy is. I, is my joy touring? Is my joy, is my joy like writing? It's just the whole process seems so different as a solo artist. And I'm, I think I was really trying to catch up to that. So went down to Mexico. I, uh, I bought myself some woodworking utensils, got into woodworking, got into photography, and I just let myself go and in, the be- in the best way. It's funny, like the older I get, letting myself go doesn't mean being out till five in the morning. Letting myself go means trying to imagine things and and being brave in doing so and kind of imagining things that are a little bit bigger than your your toolbox, (laughs) than your capabilities. So uh, I went down there and I was like, look, I really love, you know, I love artists from Oaxaca. Um... I'm going down there with some tools that I don't know how to use, and I ended up doing quite a bit of uh, photography, woodworking, and uh, writing. I wrote some great stories. I gotta be honest, man. I was walking around Mexico City yesterday, and I was in a neighborhood called Coyacan, and that is where Diego Rivera and uh, Frida Kahlo had a Casa Azul. And I walked by there, and I was... Just having to think about everything, and it was, I was just thinking like, wow, uh, this is really filling up, I'm, I'm refilling like my creative, my creative center inside of myself, so um, letting it flood in, coming in through my eyes, like uh, coming in through my ears and my smells, and I really noticed walking around Khan in the markets, I'm pretty sure people I, I looked around. I think they're happier. I'm just saying. Like, I, I know Mexico has its challenges economically. I know it has it has a lot of challenges. But I just really felt like I was having all these observations. Like, I, I think they're actually really... I think they're... On, on the streets of Mexico, I found people to be much happier. Even though faced with, like, desperate conditions sometimes... You know, and wafting sewer smells or like your odd street dog going by or maybe a guy coming up trying to sell you something on the street, like a bracelet or something. But I generally felt like there was this happy feeling in the streets that I I don't feel in, in America at the moment. There's an earnestness. And I would basically go back to my, my, uh, my apartment every night and I would just sit and Think about that, really eager to wake up early and just take another crack at everything. So I thought about playing some music and I brought my guitar and I wanted to play, you know, some shows, but I I went to the place where I was supposed to go to sort of say hello to the owner and maybe I could do a show here. 
I just kind of looked around and I was like, eh, I don't know. I think I'm comfortable being the observer on this one. And, uh, yeah, so I just, I, you know, I ended up walking down cobblestone streets, you know, barking street dogs, um, in Mexico, if you've ever been there, like on the roofs, on the roofs of houses and on gates and on fences, they'll lay broken glass, like in, in cement. So it's almost like, um, barbed wire fence or something, but for security. And it was just, you know, even things that were intended to be kind of like off-putting or menacing, I found to be colorful and, and beautiful. So like the sun would be like refracting off of this like green glass or brown glass. Um, I remember looking down these walls and thinking, wow, this is colonial. What were the friars and the monks like that walked these streets to build these like, Spanish cathedrals? What were the roads littered with? Were they littered with mud and urine and materials for the cathedrals like what was the sound like like what was uh what was the kind of cacophony of sounds that would build something like so high up like these massive cathedrals i uh i walked through those streets and every night it was met with like and i don't want to make it sound like some fantasy fantastic fantastical thing but I saw dancing nearly every day that I was in, in Mexico. I'm not kidding. Uh, whether it was like salsa classes or musicians playing down in the Zocalo, you just see like families breaking, <laughs> breaking into dance, like the, you know, old people. And I didn't know there was a lot of like merengue and salsa dancing, but there's so there's, you know, if you've never been to Mexico or never been to Latin America, there's like a lot of different like different kinds of music and I was really getting into banda banda um it's like that and it's kind of like clarinets it's so like all the pageantry and who knows what they're singing about I mean I can't always understand the lyrics um but it would just I just love how ambitious it was so you'd you'd see the kind of ranchero basically Mexican sort of western country type of music so you'd hear this kind of like country western type of stuff and also this is like big you know loud amazing trumpets blaring trombones tubas amazing and uh i love the country and western stuff the ranchero stuff and the because it's like kind of like half it's all slurry and it sounds very drunken and uh it was just amazing I was at a restaurant, oh man, was it two days ago, out with a friend of mine named Jaime. And we were talking about Mexico's great hero, Vicente Fernandez. And we were talking about him and how he was sort of like the Elvis. I was like, was he like the Elvis of Mexico? And Jaime said, bigger. He was like a man, a macho. He could ride a horse. He could <laughs> kiss a woman. He could sing a song. And I, I just love this, like, archetype. Uh, when I looked at, you know, pictures of him, I just, I fell in love with the guy. Big, swarthy sideburns. Coast-to-coast -coast mustache. Uh, 
big hat and I love the I love the whole mariachi like uniforms they're like little they're 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 suits so gentlemanly and like dignified yeah it was amazing man it was it was really amazing trip for me and I I got a lot squared away in my head really exciting stuff behind the scenes I'm working on some tours at the moment and I'm working on routing and uh this is coming together really beautifully. I had a wonderful chat. You know, I went to I went to the pyramids. I went to some farms, and I went uh, palenques. I don't know if anybody followed me follows me on uh, social media, but I, I try to do as much photography as possible and took pictures of all these places that I went. And I went to these palenques, which were which are basically mezcal farms, and I saw the ancient um, and age old craft of making mezcal from agave and really interesting stuff i mean you you drive up there's an old lady um I, and I'm, I'm not trying to be funny here and I, I don't want to sound like a dopey american here but if anyone's ever seen the movie coco <laughs> like the little grandmother like the the beautiful her beautiful silver hair and like her like her cute little clothes and she's so short like a lady came out when i pull up to this palenque and um you look to your right and there's a big massive like almost fred flintstone giant uh kind of like a big wheel that a horse pushes around it's attached to a horse that goes around in circles around this big cement disc and this um grinds down the heart of the agave which is called a piña and then that goes through a fermentation process but when i you know, you look to your left and you just hear these like hacking of machetes. And I came over and sorry, I went over and I started talking to this, to the guy that was hacking it and his body had like zero, you know, you ever see like the Ivory Coast or like um, people from that region, like from that, that, that latitude of the world, like around the coffee regions, like Sumatra, Java, Ivory Coast, Mexico, it's this leanness, like this lean vascular kind of sinewy um muscle structure this guy had and it was it was amazing it was like seeing a photo come to life um wow nice loud new york airplane out the window it's like he was sweating through his shirt and his skin was very brown and his eyes were very like like very intense and he had this uh sort of curvature to his nose and this curvature to his spine and his hands were rough and he's hacking away and he can chop these uh hearts of these agaves in half and like two hacks whack 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 and you're looking at this guy and he starts speaking to the boy and i realize this guy isn't speaking spanish this is like a uh, zapotecan language and i found out that a lot of those languages or have died out and there's very few left but you can hear them and they're very interesting so being at this like this palenque and watching this agave process I was with a fellow named tony a really cool like, former journalist guy that that gave me a a ride in his jeep and went around to all these farms he just started explaining and he's just <laughs> you're in this place that you can hear like a horse like out in the background like you're hearing hacking of a machete and you're looking and you're like, is this 
this is the company. He's like, yeah, this is it. This is this is the uh, this is they manufacture you know, mezcal from here. I'm like, wow, it's like we're in a we're like in this humble shed. And he's like, yeah. So check this out. We walk into the bar, and the little old cocoa lady's there. Um, I'll call her that. And no disrespect either. She looked a lot like her. And she and they've got all these bottles laid out, and I just start tasting them with them. And he's like, basically. Mezcal comes from Oaxaca, the state of Oaxaca, and you're in the state of Oaxaca. I was essentially like in the Tuscany of Mezcal. You know how there's wine wine regions in the world. Well, I was in the region where Mezcal comes from, and I was at one of the older, like they'd been making Mezcal there for 200 years. And Tony, this guy, he's hilarious. He's like, you're basically at a Ferrari dealership of some of the finest Mezcal in the whole entire world. So I start trying this stuff, and I was shocked. I couldn't believe it. I thought mezcal was like smoky. Did not know. Did not know. No, it's not. There's actually like floral notes. There's uh, almost like at times had like gin flavors to it. Very interesting. I couldn't believe it. Very earthy. Very inspiring. So we ride back. And I'm in the back of this Jeep and I'm looking up and he's like, this is one of the oldest I've known <laughs> uh, depictions of a human ever put, you know, basically like a cave, a cave drawing from 10,000 years ago on this large rock. I'm thinking, man, I've seen, I've seen pyramids this week that people inhabited for 10,000 years. Um, I've seen some of the finest mezcal in the world, I have not seen a fight, a drunkard. I have not seen a drug addict. I've really seen people just smile and be good. I started thinking a lot about America and Trump and his wall. And I feel Mexico is a very misunderstood place. I believe it's the most populous Spanish-speaking country in the world. It's got the highest population, and it um, it's it's fascinating. It's uh, I went to one of the oldest markets in Mesoamerica, um, called Tlacula de Matamoros. Phenomenal, bizarre thing I noticed. Can somebody please go to Mexico and tell me if I'm crazy here that there's literally almost zero male pattern baldness can we talk about that i'm serious like everywhere i went i'm looking around i'm like is there a bald guy anywhere like really strong hairlines like down like an inch from people's you know eyebrow like just like (laughs) i have vitality i have great head of hair um just yeah like it's so funny then you 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 know you go to like ireland or scotland or you know whatever in europe and stuff and you just see some funny funny male pattern baldness which is like oh man um you know i was thinking about male pattern baldness i was on the beach and there's all these guys with their head shaved right like you know zidane or like you know vin diesel or something like man remember we remember when we were kids you had like you had your hair fall out couldn't really hide couldn't really hide behind the tutankhamen look you had to wear it in the NFL, when they took their helmets off, their head looked like a like a rose-colored egg emerging from some wilted garden. 
some sad vines getting brushed aside as they put their helmet back on or they would very quickly put a baseball hat on. Just being that guy at the pool party. Just like, it used to be so bad in the 70s, man. Not for nothing. Pablo Picasso had a pretty mean comb over there for a little while. Um, yeah, did not see a lot of that in Mexico. What else can I tell you? Color, man. So I've been sort of chasing that. So I have a new record coming out called Wild Eyes. And, I, and if you notice by my new website and the artwork that you'll be seeing coming out throughout this album cycle, I'm trying to reconnect with color again. And there's nothing wrong with London or Brooklyn, New York City, and these massive avenues, asphalt. I love charcoal gray wool coats or my Harris tweed coat that I have that I love. I love brown leather boots and I love a good fedora or a beanie or a cap or a vest. There's something, but it always exists in this palette that's kind of like, you know, your browns, maybe a little bit of olive green, an okra color to dark browns and charcoals. But when I I've been going, like, you know, I went to South America and Asia and, uh, and New Orleans. I was just absolutely blown away by just this, like, the how daring people are with color. Um, bright yellows, deep greens, soulful blues, like piercing violets, purples. And these are homes. This isn't like a a cool belt or a fancy bracelet. There's an entire city block. And they live amongst color and it just was so beautiful to walk side by side. And um, I'm really excited about the tours that I'm working on. I'm really excited about this whole other project that I'm not talking about. The tour that I'm putting together now is actually with another artist that many of you know. And I think that will be thrilling. So I'm back at the office, man. I just had my mind blown. Um, I was in a Cessna and up above the earth and I was thinking like, wow, in this little airplane, you can rent them or you, you know, they got me basically from Oaxaca to the coast, which I wanted to see. And, you know, it was, I think it was a hundred dollars, but when I was up in this thing, I was thinking, oh man. What happens if you went down in one of these bad boys? And then Kobe Bryant died probably two or three days later. And I wrote a story about him called Mamba. And man, I'm not a big basketball guy. You know, I, I pretty much like soccer. That's like the sport that I watch. I'll watch some baseball um, with my girlfriend and her family. But um, And I grew up on baseball. But Kobe Bryant, man, classy guy thought a lot about him and the day that it happened I was watching the sunset and I was thinking wow man this is the very sun that rose earlier today and that these guys had their coffee and got ready and went in this helicopter and went down it's just this made me really sad but in some kind of soulful way and maybe it was the perspective that I was having because I was spending a lot of time alone was that I felt like Kobe Bryant dying really shook my country, it shook America. And I think it sort of corrected some things 
in a very strange way. I think with the impeachment and this anger that is going on in the country, anger against the left, the left being angry against the right, the murder of this general in Iran, just the the sort of bloated and belligerent gestures towards war, the memes, the memification on Twitter, and the desensitization of human beings looking at, you know, perhaps us going to a war, and almost like it was entertainment, it just felt all very hollow and scary, and where we're all going as a society, and like as a people. I think when Kobe Bryant died, we had four children, and he passed away with his daughter, and I think it, it asked a lot of people to pull over and, and think about what's important in life. And uh, it's certainly a tragedy, and my thoughts go out to him and his family and all the people that passed away in that helicopter. It's terrible. This guy was like on par with like a Lionel Messi or a Ronaldo. or He was a great, and um, Wow. He worked really hard in his life and he achieved amazing things and gave a lot of little kids hope around the world, gave a lot of human beings hope around the world. So sorry to see see that. But I do think, again, that it came at a time where I think we needed to stop and really assess some stuff. Okay, well, that's an earthy, heartfelt, deep podcast for you. <laughs> You can count on that when I come back from Mexico to have some kind of reflective thing to say. It just brings it out. Listen, you guys, thank you. A lot of good stuff coming. 2020, back on track. You've been listening to Honored with William McCarthy, live from Brooklyn. (laughs) 